Tonight's episode of Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete is brought to you by No Fuss and Feathers Roadshow, an evening with Carol Ann Solabello, Karen Oliver, and the Yayas. Go to facebook.com backslash No Fuss and Feathers Roadshow for details and go see them live March 11th, 7 p.m. at WFUV's John Platt Presents On Your Radar at the Rockwood Music Hall, 196 Allen Street in New York City. They're awesome. Do it. All right, now ready to unload with Cal and Sam Pete, number 163. Gentlemen, we're tonight's entertainment. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Johnny and the mothers are playing something at the Savoy in Vermont tonight. Vermont's gonna kill my brother at the Savoy Theater tonight. I didn't say that. No, but I know this grapevine. Why would I put it there? Kindness? 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 You stole it! He's selling! We have top men working on it right now. Who? Top men. Brought to you by the good old guys who invite you to see the Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme and other 1983 automobiles today. Well, hi everybody, I'm Ralph Kiner and we have as our special guest Tom Seaver and it was a fitting day for two great pitchers, and Tom Seaver, of course, started the ball game for the Mets. And, Tom, I think one of the greatest things that I saw was the ovation you got as you came in from the bullpen to start that ball game. Well, uh, Ralph, that's a question that's been asked me a lot, obviously, since I was traded back here. Uh, what my feelings would be when I'd come in, I really didn't know. You know, I mean, it, you knew it was going to be terrific, and the feeling was going to be terrific. and But you just, you don't know personally. I try to be a very disciplined pitcher and control my emotions on the mound and try not to let umpires' calls or errors or bad pitches or things upset me. But uh, uh, walking in from the bullpen and and, and seeing, you know, 
back where we have I have so many memories and so many beautiful memories. It was it took me a couple of innings to calm down. It was really it was very touching and, and uh, um, you know I, it couldn't have turned out to be a better day. Thank God we ended up winning the game, but uh, it was a very emotional moment for me. Hello there. Welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, episode number 163, coming to you live from Comac, New York, Bayside, New York, and Freehold, New Jersey. It is Thursday night. It is February the 6th, 2014. It is 10 p.m. It is time for Ready to Unload. And apologies for the uh, little different beginning there uh, as we join you tonight uh, for this episode. Uh, Met fans everywhere and baseball fans everywhere uh, lost uh, a very dear near and dear announcer and icon and legend and person in our baseball youth in Ralph Kiner, who passed away today at the age of 91. Um, so many memories, so much to talk about uh, a little bit. Cal and I are going to share some of our, our thoughts about Ralph, Ralphie Kiner, um, who is an indelible uh, mark on our youth as, when it came to listening to baseball and following baseball and was instrumental, I think, for both of us in our love of both baseball and the New York Mets. So um, I wanted to start there with a little Kiner's Corner, and that was uh, from Tom Seaver from opening day in 1983, and uh, a little bit there. And, of course, Kiner's signature call for a home run. It is going, going. It is gone. Goodbye. Um, So welcome to the program. It's not all going to be melancholia, melancholic. uh, There's happy stuff to talk about. But uh, we're going to get 163 kicked off. Uh, so, well, I guess we already have. So away we go. Let's bring in the co-host of the program, Mr. Brian Calniva. Calpino Caliente. Hi, Brian. Hi, Steve. Hey, buddy. Hey. You're awfully, uh, you're quiet. Your mic is a little quiet. Maybe it's me. My mic is quiet? There you go. I think it might be, I think it might be my issue. I hope not. You know what's you could be in for a long night if my mic is quiet. No, that's good. You know what's good to do is a mic check. Testing one two one two. That's magnificent. Not on the air though. You're right? a, you're a trained professional. That's the wrong time to do it. Absolutely the wrong when time. When we're live. To do it. Correct. Right? Okay. That's correct. I'm told that that should be done before airtime. Very well then. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm melancholy. That's a good way to put it. That's the word. Can we get a different word? Um, and then and then we're going to bring in the bishop later. Sanguine? Sanguine. Manny, sanguine. I don't know. We're going to bring in the bishop later, who is going to bring more of the melancholy with a little... He's got to talk about PSH. He's got to. I want to I talk a little bit about Philip Seymour Hoffman, of course, who we lost on Super Bowl Sunday uh, in a... Just awful. Awful. Really, he, it only hit me about... I hate when people personalize these things. I really do. Like you'd see on Facebook people like, oh, I remember when I was doing – and I happen to have a lot of actor friends. And I don't like how they – a lot of people sort of will be like, oh, and I was doing this play. And I remember I was doing this play. And me, 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 look at me. And it's sad that he's gone. And you're like, well, dude, just keep those memories to yourself. You know? Like, or just don't make it about you. It's not about you. But not surprisingly, actors have a, a way of doing that. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I had a personal encounter with Philip Seymour Hoffman about 18 years ago. I keep it to myself. It's my thing. 
it's not about me. It's about the loss uh, to a dreadful addiction of an unbelievably talented actor, a once-in-a-generational actor. Way too soon. An artist, exactly, at the age of 46. So really got the show off to a uh, a rip-roaring start tonight. Yeah, this is a real feel-good one tonight. So. <laughs> Let's uh, let's let's get to it. Yeah, let's uh, let's get well. Let's bring let's bring. Well, PJ speaking of feel good, let's yeah, bring speak, in PJ. Speaking of Doctor Feel Good, which is an underrated album, I might add, and one that I'm sure he owns. What? He? You're telling me you don't have any Motley Crew in the canon? Everything you've just said was highly insulting. What? How about, far back? About Phyllis Seymour Hoffman? Have <laughs> said hello? Feel good? There. Wait, are you telling me that... Okay. I have it. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the song Dr. Feelgood. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's a perfectly good late 80s, early 90s... Jam? Bridge to grunge song. I do not like or appreciate that song, I have to say. Wow. And, I and, didn't and, like... And I'm, guess, I'm guessing Without You by Motley Crue, also not... Ooh. It's, it's a pretty easy cutoff. Everything after the second album, I disliked. What's the second album? <laughs> the, se- the, the second album was Shout at the Devil. You like that one, though? I like that one very much. Okay, and then that was it. And then, yeah, and then the third album was the one with uh, Smoking in the Boys' Room and Home Sweet Home. And oh, all right. I went along all, with it because all my friends liked it. I will not let you. It. It. I will not was a let big you. thumbs down for me. How dare you? I will not let you speak that way of Home Sweet Home. How dare you? Awful. Do you think a movie like oh. Hot Tub Time Machine ruins Home Sweet Home? For those of us who oh. liked it in the first place. Wait a minute. Let me just see something here. Cal, you're... No, that was the next... What's the next chord? But it's, like, it's like that easy. C. C minor. There you go. <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on, finish it. Finish the job. No, it's just, it's just, I mean, come on. I can pick it out that fast. It's not a good song. You know it's not a high-quality tune when I can play it on piano. You knew I'm a dreamer. Well, then don't sing it. Don't sing it. Oh. If you don't care for it. I had a runaway high. He keeps going. Look. So I didn't come home Secretly, low. he likes it. That's Funny he knows all the words, though. I think he likes it. Yep. Like I said, I went along with it because all my friends really liked it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to lose all my friends. <laughs> so you were like Charles Nelson Riley? I was. <laughs> exactly what he said, too. Oh. Who makes his I was weekly appearance on RTR? <laughs> I was a follower. Come on. That's all right. You were, you were um, hey, look, the, the world needs chiefs and Indians. It's okay. Actually, not true. I actually wasn't a follower, but I was. I was afraid of, of of saying out loud that I didn't like that album, and I really didn't like it. 
I can understand why. A lot of why bands, a lot of hard rock like bands in the, in the late '80s that I was supposed to like, and everybody else was liking. I did not like like Queens Reich and and Rat and Poison, <laughs> and I just didn't like any of them. What did you like at that at that time of your life? I liked Iron Maiden and Def Leppard. All right. He liked um, time. Of, I, he liked Time of My Life by. Uh, <laughs> from Dirty Dancing. I did not have <laughs> no, that nothing. soundtrack. I did not. He, he, you asked what he liked at that time of his life. He liked time of his life. Oh, right. And he also liked the Green Day song. I did. <laughs> right. Which, which wasn't Look, written yet. It was yet. hard. It was, it was very it. difficult. I had, I, I actually, I actually, you know, had a little street cred as a teenager for for being a music guy. I had my Pink Floyd T-shirts, and I knew how to play guitar. But I was also like getting into musicals at the same time, and still listening to Billy Joel when everybody had had it with Billy Joel. And and they were listening to all this other rock stuff that I was just like, this is terrible, and simplistic, and and also terrible. Wait, there came a time when everybody had had it with Billy Joel? Sure. Not on Long Island. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, <laughs> You're Long in the wrong place. Different. <laughs> yeah. Long Island's different. No, uh, but, but, but uh, in, that, in that time period before Stormfront had come out, when sure. he, what was that other one called? The Bridge? The, yep. where he, the where Bridge he did is... the duet with Ray Charles and stuff. That yes. was kind of a lukewarm sort of like, oh, that's a record. Maybe by you. Yeah. No, like I said, well, that's, you know. If you were at the uh, Smith Haven Mall, uh, you were were buying that album immediately. They'll deport you from Rhode Island if you don't go along with (laughs) that. That's right. They they will take your card away. Well. Well, I'm disappointed to hear you didn't like Home Sweet Home. How dare you? Didn't really. No, didn't. Didn't. Although we, we we were Staten Islanders, so we all liked White Lion because they were our right. right. Were they from Staten even, Island? Even Well, in a, in a roundabout way, they were. They came through Staten Island a little bit. What, did they drive over the Outer Bridge Crossing <laughs> once? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they sublet and, and in the declared they were summer, and that made them Staten Islanders in our hearts. Was, okay. was one of them named Father Cappadano? <laughs> Don't forget, Glenn Scarpelli, Staten Islander. Staten Islander. His album was really bad. Mrs. C. No, wait, that's not Mrs. C. Miss well, Romano. Miss Romano, thank Ms. Romano. you. Oof. Um, all right. Well, Peach, we're we're gonna talk to you in a bit. I I, I want to talk about. Uh, let's get let's get right into this. Let's get into this, Ralph. Because and and also I'm I'm upset at you because you don't like Home Sweet Home. How dare you? What, what do you feel? It? What about how about Wanted Dead or Alive? Are you against that as well? Uh, the Bon Jovi song. No, the the, the, the Trini Lopez song. Yeah, the Bon Jovi song. <laughs> really, Trini. Well, well, Bon Jovi. Oh, he's from New Jersey. So. He is from New Jersey. You live in New Jersey. So he has to I, like Bon Jovi. No, he grew I up in Staten Island. I appreciate "Wanted Dead or Alive" as a really oh, good karaoke song, but I don't think it's a great tune. <laughs> that's never a good quality. Like I was if in that's, a band that did cover. We did cover one Bon Jovi song. I I uh, covered uh, Wanted Dead or Alive in the 10th grade talent show. We covered Runaway. Cal was there. I was. That I hardly... Did. Yes, we did. Uh, that hardly counts as a Bon Jovi song. Run, run, runaway? She's a little Runaway? Isn't that like a remake? 
Is that Dion? Yeah, it does. is Boma? that Dion the Boma? No, no, stop it. No, what? No. Or Pat Benatar sang that song, right? <laughs> I think Pat Benatar sang it with Dion and the Beaumonts. There is a song called Runaway from the 60s. Nothing like the She's a Little Runaway song from Bon Jovi. Nothing like it. You got to admit, the She's a Little Runaway song by Bon Jovi has a little Phil Spector to it. I could see it. Sure. I, I, I was, this is revelatory for me. I was fully under the impression that that was a remake. I really was. No. I'm not even kidding. No, uh, the 60s Runaway is, uh, do, I, do I have to sing it? I mean, come on. Yeah, please. Cal did yeah. Roberta Flack last week. <laughs> I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> and I'll do it again. No, the old Runaway is, as <laughs> I like... walk along, I wonder oh, what went right. wrong with our love. Love that was so strong. Doo-dee Isn't that song called I'm Walking in the Rain? I'm Walking in the Rain. Yeah, you got it. My, my bad. I'm a walking in the rain. That's correct. I'm a walking. <laughs> Go ahead. You do, do and your then, impression. And then Bon Jovi is, ooh, she's a little runaway. I'm a walking in the rain. I'm a walking. <laughs> no, I was going to say it's a song about a woman named Ima. Oh, I thought you were going to do Christopher Walken in the rain. Oh. No. It's wet. <laughs> where does Runaway come in there, then? What, what, which song? <laughs> the, the Runaway from the 1950s that you just sang. Uh, wishing you were here by me to end this misery, and I wonder, why, 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 wonder, why, 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 she ran away, and I oh, wonder right. where she will stay. My little, little runaway. Run, 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 run. And then there's also a little keyboard solo. That's right. Like a Monster Mash-ish keyboard solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't Bon Jovi. Are you sure? No. No. Come on. I think that's, that song was like the very first use of the Mellotron or something. Oh, naturally. That's where yeah. I would put it. I think, I think it was. That song could literally have seven different titles that it could be known by. I'm a walking in the rain. Yes, walking <laughs> yes, in the rain. I, know. I don't know why it's called Runaway. Uh, wishing you a wonder. I whoa 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 wonder. Like people know it as the <laughs> whoa 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 wonder song. Wow. And you can't hold the sure, candle to Home Sweet Home though. Come we're on. sure Bon Jovi had nothing to do with it. Well, no, I don't know anything about. It. They could be related. It could be the guy's uncle, for all I know. Bon Jovi, the runaway uh, Bon Jovi runaway song also has a very neat keyboard little thing. That's why my little band covered it was because I needed to go on stage and do that. Squeep, I think we're going to have to upload a video clip of my band doing that to the to the Facebook. Oh my goodness! Oh, how fast can we make that happen? You have a video clip of that? Yeah. I, I, the words immediately, and you're fired if it doesn't happen. Come, I don't. We can't even fire you. You're doing this for free. You're like Kramer. Come I don't on. even work here. We want to fascinating that it still exists. I agree. They Didn't had videotape back then. The band was called Securities, which makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> and Securities? Well, it was the '80s, right? It was we were all funny stockbrokers, I guess. I don't know. You carry briefcases and large cell phones? No, you know why? 
um, there was a Peter Gabriel album called Security, and we wanted to cover Peter Gabriel, so we figured we'll call the band Security. We ended wow. up never covering Peter Gabriel because it was too difficult. And then security when we when we booked or securities. Well, the the guy who owned the venue changed our name to Securities because he didn't like it being called Security. Because they had an actual security at the venue. Maybe. You didn't want to confuse the... People thought they were coming to see the bouncer. It was my first, my first gig ever, and we came out... This was, this was the, the trifecta, how we opened the show. Carry on, Wayward Son. Oh, boy. The old Kansas chestnut. Uh, Runaway. We, yeah, we're, we're familiar with it. Seg- Thanks. Segway Thanks. directly Thanks. into Runaway. And then, for some reason, Crazy Train. Of course. Naturally. Well, this, is a, this is a completely this is a completely natural progression of songs you that know, you would do. You know, we may have to post the whole gig. Actually, now that I'm thinking of it, the gig is so spectacularly awesome. When is it from? 1988. Oh dear, yes, you need to post yeah. the whole the whole quote unquote gig. We yeah, it played, was, we it was a gig. Three three twenty year old covers. <laughs> well, no, uh, Runaway was pretty fresh at that point. Runaway was, was like Runaway four was years old. Thinking of the other Runaway, that was twenty years old at the time. No, we, we didn't need do to... that. Runaway. <laughs> That's right. You did the Dion and the Belmonts one, which was thirty years old at the time. <laughs> we need to talk about this. I want to get back to this now in the fun load. Now I know what the fun load is going to be about because we covered some awful stuff too. Not awful. They're great songs, but they're completely not timely. Right, because we were in this like middle ground for garage bands, because like Nirvana hadn't come out yet, Pearl Jam hadn't come out yet. You know, there was there was none of that like great stuff. And you had, if you were going to be like a cover band in like the high school talent show, you weren't going to do like Queensrÿche, which wasn't out yet. No, it was. It was uh, our senior year. Yeah. Silent Lucidity was the big hit at that time. That's true. Oh, you, yeah, God. but you weren't you weren't covering. But you weren't going to do that. Contemporary songs no, exactly. of the time. You, you had to go to. back to the late seventies right. to cover everything. That's right. So I'll, I'll tell you some of the nuggets that we covered. Some of the gems that we covered in nineteen ninety two. Like that song's eighteen years old, and it wasn't good in nineteen seventy five. What were you thinking? So all right, we'll 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 we'll, we'll talk to you in a bit, Peach. Yay. We're going to go talk about Mr. Ralph Kiner. I guess that's the I guess that's the big unload. It seems sort of Well, I think I think the way we, you know, people have been talking about him all day and sharing their memories and he was such a huge part of us growing up. Um we we should just kind of talk about how we feel about him and and, and what we remember about him and, and why he was such a huge part of growing up. I was I was with my brother-in-law tonight, and he mentioned something. He says, you know, if you stop to think about how many games we listened to or watched as kids growing up, okay? So you're looking at 160, let, let's say conservatively, 150 games a year, mm-hmm. right? Multiply that by how many years, right? But then you take, but even more so than that, you take 150 games an average of three hours a game, 
and then you so it's 450 hours a year multiplied by how many years and you and just the amount the sheer amount of time that you spent out of your life listening to Ralph Kiner yeah talk about something you love almost as much as anything else in the world it's 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 amazing and and it's why today is such a big deal for us I was thinking about – it's a great observation. I was thinking about this idea, Bri, that it's almost like that voice is a voice that you can turn on and off in your head on command at any time like you would a relative that you grew up with. Um, that's how you know in, engraved – that voices in your head. And that's why it felt like it to me, sort of like my uncle, you know, like an uncle passed away or something like that. Like you, I have Ralph Kiner's voice or call of a home run or in my head. I can, I have instant recall of it the second that I want it, you know, if I'm, uh, and I think that's, such a huge it's not it's not only the hours although that's a fantastic point but it's such a huge part of why we fell in love with the Mets and baseball to begin with those things especially with baseball i think those things become intertwined see but it's funny for me and i don't know if you felt the same way as a kid i never really appreciated ralph kiner he was just he like today I can look back and say my God I listened you know from the time I was five years old I listened to Ralph Kiner but when I was when I was ten years old or even fifteen years old I never stopped and thought wow I can't believe I'm listening to Ralph Kiner I just, I you didn't I, you didn't but you didn't maybe get the enormity of it or the legendary status of him but you got it Cal. Oh, I got it, and 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 it was, and, and it was and it was it was part of what we loved about watching the team, right? And it was it was ingrained as part of our Met history and learning about the team. And when you learn about the team and you learn about their history and you learn about Bob Bob Murphy and Lindsey Nelson and Ralph Kiner, and you grow up knowing about the significance of those three guys. Yeah, they're 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 also they were also integral in our formation. As baseball fans, right? So you're, but, but I, but again, but, uh, but I, I knew it at the time. Like yeah, we, see, I, we, I guess I didn't. I no, guess I didn't know it did. at the time. You definitely did. I mean, we. I think when you're, when we were twelve and we were watching the '86 Mets, right? And they're having this historic season and they're this dominant team and it had been building and coming and building and coming and you know that Ralph Kiner at that point had been there for twenty, you know, twenty-four years already because he had been there since their inception. Those guys, McCarver with him and Bob Murphy on the radio, those guys were part of that team. Yeah. Like, I, 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 don't, I can't think about those teams without Kiner and Murphy and McCarver and, you know, and, Zab- and Steve Zabriskie, sure. But th- those guys made the calls, had the calls of the games that are etched in our memories. Right. I get. I. I guess I'm. I'm not explaining myself as eloquently as I should be. Um, at the. I guess as I got older, I started to appreciate him yes. more and more 
the older I got. I understand. Maybe that's the way the way to put it. Like when you're a Met fan, much like when you're in school and you're learning about history, you learn your history from textbooks, and you learn about U.S. history from your social studies book that you get and and the world and and when you're a Met fan, you learn your history from the Met yearbooks. Yeah. You know, you've yep. got the 1983 Met yearbook and yep. you go through it and, and 1983 happened to be the 10 year anniversary of the 73 Mets. And I distinctly remember being nine years old and reading about this team that made it to the World Series the year before I was even born. And that's how you learn about it. And that's how I learned a lot about the significance of Ralph Kiner at an early age. I think one of the things, too, that I was thinking about today, Bri, is that he was also excellent. Like, Ralph Kiner was great. Like, we knew we had, like, a special guy. Like, not just, not just completely intertwined in the fabric of the Mets and being a Mets fan, but he was, he was great. Like, he was underrated as far as, like, unintentional comedy intentional comedy, mm-hmm. um, you know, calling a game, being into a game, malprops, you know, that, that just my favorite is, of course, there's a line drive to left by Gary Cooper, you know, for Gary Carter. Oh, he called Gary, he called him Gary Cooper his first game. His first game, yeah. met on Kiner's Corner. Yeah. Um, you know, he called him Daryl Blueberry at one point. My uncle used to call him lovingly. This is all lovingly, like Phil Rizzuto, like a, a, a guy who is is beloved by the fan base. My uncle, my one uncle used to call him Ralph Martini. Yeah. And, you know, by the seventh or eighth inning, you know, you don't know how many Ryan Golds that Ralph had had, you know, back in the day. And and there's all kinds of stories coming out about, wonderful stories today, too, about what a great guy he was. Like, what yeah. a wonderful, great, giving, friendly, you, you, you haven't heard nary a bad word about him today. And a couple of writers have even said that. Like, it was actually Joel Sherman had yeah. tweeted that if you stick around long enough, you'll hear something bad about everybody. And he never heard a bad word about Ralph Kiner. Yep. And, and so I think those sort of things made him even more beloved. It's not just that he was – that I appreciated by the time I was 14 or 15 years old. And also, here's the other one I was thinking about today, Cal. He was 91. Right? So when he's doing those games 25 years ago, yeah. 28 years ago, he's still like 60. Yeah. You know, or like 63. When you're 15, he's an old man. Right. So he was like this beloved sort of grandfatherly figure who was a great ball player, a Hall of Fame ball player. I think that's something that a younger generation of Met fan. Yeah, the Met fan in his 20s really doesn't know him, right? Because how long ago was it where he sort of was not active duty, really? Is it 10 years now? Um, I mean, I know they bring the Mets. And, and by the way, we've destroyed the Mets over and over again for always doing the wrong thing. And somebody called up WFAN today, and I totally agree with this, Bri. Ralph Kiner and bringing him back in the booth every year to just do a couple innings here and there. And he had Bell's palsy. He's had Bell's palsy for a long time. So the speaking could be difficult, but the Mets treated him 
really, really well. And they continued to bring him back as long as he was comfortable doing a few innings. The Mets did a really nice job with Ralph Kiner. Really respectful and really handled Ralph Kiner the right way. Oh, yeah. You know, we... We've destroyed the organization, and rightfully so, so often, because they so... They deserve it, most of the time. Yes. They almost consistently screw this sort of thing up. But they also, like you said, they deserve credit for... They do. And this guy they called put it perfectly about how they just... They treated him with such respect and class as he got older. You know, like they just... They handled it the right way. Yes. Instead of pushing him out the door. With dignity and class... Um, in, in a rare showing of that <laughs> for the Mets. Um, and and that, 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 again, tells you what kind of person Ralph Kiner was because he sort of demanded that. Not demanded, I don't mean demanded like he demanded that. He was such a good person that you wanted to. You wanted to do that. Um, it's, you know, it's, I, go ahead. No, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I was, we'll talk about this a little bit later, too, that I, I went to, uh, for the third year in a row, the, the Mets front office has a season ticket holder Q&A. They call it the hot stove report. Yep. They do it every year, and Sandy Alderson and, and the rest of the front office kind of field questions from the season ticket holders and are pretty candid about what's going on with the team. Right. And... The news about Ralph Kiner came down maybe an hour or so before this event started, hour and a half, very close. So that when we got when I got to City Field and and we got to this event, I should use the word melancholy again, but that, <laughs> I hate to use it, but that was that was the atmosphere in the building, and Ron Darling happened to be the MC of the event. And Ron Darling was visibly upset. Really? Visibly upset. Like, he, he came out, and the very first thing they did was he, they had a moment of silence for Ralph Kiner. Very first thing. And he even said, he's, you know, join me in, in this. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to be able to get through it, but wow. have, a moment, have a moment of silence for Ralph Kiner. He was very upset. Jay Horowitz, who we kill all the time, very upset. Very upset. As a matter of fact, we were watching, we were standing in the back watching the event, and Jay Horowitz walked past us, and he was on a cell phone call. And I don't know who he was talking to, I don't know what the call was about, but all I heard him say was, yeah, this is a tough day for all of us. Yeah. What? As he was walking by. And it's, look, Ralph Kiner was with the team for 52 <laughs> years. Exactly. Anybody who's ever been associated with the Mets knows Ralph Kiner. Yeah. And... A guy like Jay Horowitz, for all the grief we give him, probably lost a very good friend today. You know, somebody who he's worked with, you know, or has known and worked with for 30 years. That these kind of relationships with announcers and broadcasters, I I don't think it's unique to baseball because I've seen it happen in hockey. and in their beloved guys in basketball, you know, Chick Hearn and stuff like that. Um, I think there's something about baseball, though, that's romantic uh, or romanticized about your relationship with your broadcasters because it is such a pastoral game. It is so sort of slow and there's a lot of time to fill and there's, 
there's a lot of your personality that has to come into it. I mean, look, I think right now the Mets probably have – oh, and by the way, that's one thing they've – to me, you know, the Yankees had Mel Allen and they had – but the Mets, that's the only place they've been on par with the Yankees in their, their broadcasters with their broadcasters. I mean, they had Lindsey Nelson, who's was like a first ballot Hall of Fame broadcaster for everything. They had Bob Murphy, who's in the Hall of Fame for broadcasting, and and Bob Murphy was unbelievable, unbelievable, a completely legendary, one of a kind. Like it's it's really one of the rare places where the Mets are somewhat on par with the Yankees. In, right. in both their radio and they have right now they have Howie Rose who's probably one of the best radio play-by-play men in the business and he succeeded Bob Murphy and he succeeded Bob Murphy right and you have what is arguably the best television booth um, or one of the best local TV booths in the game and that's not us saying that obviously we're a bit biased because we're Met fans but right. you know they've won Emmys and they're they're widely recognized as a great booth in you know Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, and Ron Darling. And Ron Darling does national broadcasts too. Yeah, and that's, Keith, that's, and that's Keith would if he Keith would if he wasn't in Southampton. So there is a romanticized sort of notion with these broadcasters for baseball because you spend so much downtime with them. Oh, well, that's what it is. And there's so many games. It's 162 so games. So many games and. The personality has to be like Ralph Kiner. Somebody else brought up a great point. Again, the, the callers did a wonderful job on FAN today. And, of course, this is where Mike Frances is wonderful. This is where Mike Frances is good because he took call after call. He just let the callers talk, let them share their memories, chimed in here and there, had a nice way of not making it about himself. You know, it's, it's so frustrating when Mike Francesa can be really good at his job, like he really gives a crap. And today he gave a crap because Ralph Kiner is a legendary figure in this town and in his business. And so he gave a crap. He had no choice. He had no no choice. And and it was like with Paterno, like when the Paterno story broke or he's good when that happens. He can be so good. But anyway, the guy called up and, and said, essentially, it became, it didn't matter if you had heard Ralph tell the story about Elizabeth Taylor 50 times, it became like what the guy was trying to say is it becomes like a routine, like you see George Carlin do stand-up and you want to see him do the seven dirty words. Right. You know, it became like a thing that's passed down, like wait till he tells the Liz Taylor story. You know, if somebody told the uh, the Bill Lee, um, Char- was it Charlie Lee, Bill Lee story? Yep. About Charlie Lee, who is a pitcher from France, I believe, and uh, and they were warming up in the bullpen together, and you know, Kiner says, "There's Charlie Lee, who's from France, and Bill Lee, who's from another world." Yeah, because Bill Lee was nicknamed the Spaceman and was a strange cat. I read his what? book, by the way. Did you ever read Bill Lee's book? No, he's he was weird though. He was oh, you got to pick up that book someday. It's like an '80s baseball book, like biography. The Spaceman. Yeah, Spaceman. He was. Awesome, but you know that's a kinderism. You know? Yeah, one one pitcher was from another country, the other was from another that's right. planet. That's right. One is from a, one is from another country, the other is from another world. Um, 
so you have those sort of things with baseball announcers. That's I, I got to listen to Vin Scully for a few years when I lived in Los Angeles. And this was before MLB radio and before all that jazz. So really, I, I couldn't really watch the Mets or listen to the Mets. Um, so I would listen to Dodger games uh, every once in a while at night. Because Vin Scully is, was and is ridiculously good. But it's personal. Well, you know what it is. It's, baseball is a very regional game. Right. That's how it's designed. And, well, I shouldn't say that's how it is. That's how it was designed. It's evolving away from that. It, so I think... I, I, think it's still, I think it's still that, though, Cal. Cause at you its can, core, yeah. You can still be that no matter where you live now. Right. Like you, right. Can still, you can still be regional as a fan, no matter oh, where you live. That's true. You know, but no, go ahead. Your point is, your point is a good one. No, that was, but that was, that was the point, And you kind of argued it for me. Um, well, you don't, you don't have national announcers. It's not like football, right? You have local announcers that are your guys. You do what well, you do have national announcers or girls, Susan Wallman. You know, uh, I, I know there are a number of uh, women who do play by play and are announcers and stuff. But you, but not for every game, Cal. No, but you have, but you do have national announcers, and it's such a huge difference when you watch a baseball game, and you watch six days during the week. You're watching your announcers and right. your team and your broadcast, and then you get to the seventh day, and in come the national announcers from out of town that did about thirty minutes of prep on the teams, and it's just like it's it's just watching the game is like night and day. And you long for, you know, I want my guys. I want my guys that know the team, that know the players, that know what I want to hear. You know, yeah. it's yeah. great. It's great that you're a national announcer and you've got a wider audience. And it's funny because Ralph Kiner never really had that, as long as we know. No, he was he was strictly a Met announcer. He he was, and the, and the, the the just the great thing again is that. It's a voice of uh, our youth. I mean, it's a it's a voice and a and a personality um, that is so intrinsic. In, I mean, I, I don't you know I don't want to speak for you. It's it's intrinsic in my love of the Mets. Like he is woven into the fabric of you know the, the, my absolute love of the Mets. Yeah. He's he's part of the story. I love the players and I loved Ralph Kiner and Bob Murphy and. Once upon a time, Tim McCarver. You know, Tim McCarver was wonderful as a Met announcer in, for those 80s teams. But again, that, that kind of goes to my point. Tim McCarver as a local Met announcer was terrific. Yeah. Tim McCarver as a national announcer. Eh. Well, but and to, to his defense, he needed to cast a wider net. Yeah. You know, that's so that, that's why. And Ralph Kiner never did. Like I said, he might have before our time. He might have done some network broadcasting. I don't know if he oh, did. I'm sure. I mean, Lindsey Nelson did. Lindsey Nelson was a national guy. Right. Lindsey Nelson did football and did, you know, uh, uh, and Bob Murphy had come from another baseball place. Um, but you just you can't recreate that. And it was sad today it really was when you texted me that at 320 you actually broke the news to me Cronkite style 
I just found out a minute ago. Yeah, you 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 did the uh, slow taking off of your glasses and turning around to look at the clock. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't write Eastern Standard Time after uh, <laughs> after <laughs> after it. But um, it re- it was really like a punch. It was really like, oh man, I felt like I lost a family member. Well, you know what what was strange for me was he's 91 years old, right? It's a, it's a good run. He's 91 years old. And this came as a shock to me. You did, it did. Like I never, like I just never thought one day he like. And and we've and we've watched him deteriorate physically over the last few years. Sure. Not his, not his mind. No, nope. because he he could still tell a story like nobody else. Yep. When he would do some of the games, um, but you'd see him, and he was getting frailer. He was getting older. He was slowing down, but I never thought. Oh jeez, I better I better soak all of this in because he's not going to be around much longer. Never never crossed my mind at all because he's ingrained in the Mets. And as long as the Mets were there, Ralph Kiner was there. Yep. And you, you know? and and you did get him, you know, once or twice a year he'd come into the booth, you know, for a couple of innings and still be, you know, sharp as a tack. And 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 the other thing that I love, and I know you love this too is you and I uh, probably were born in the wrong generation in that we have like a, you know just this huge love of baseball history and I'm the kind of guy who can sit there with the baseball almanac and just read through it for hours at a time yeah you know or or I get stuck in pro baseball or pro reference you know uh, pro baseball reference or whatever dot com and just I'm I am completely down the rabbit hole just looking at guys stats and numbers I'll never forget Dr. E. Ray Stat and I one day when he was in med school and Ev had like a, an off day, he'd done like, you know, six straight days of on calls or something like that. And he, uh, we were both living in Brooklyn at the time and he calls me up and he goes, dude, I just need like a day to play Madden. Just like, just, just come <laughs> over. So we, it was like a rainy day. I went over to his apartment or whatever. We got like a, you know, a case of beer and just popped Madden in and got a season going. And at some point while we were, prepping for a draft <laughs> for like a Madden draft. He had this great hundred years of baseball almanac. And so we just started picking through it and it took over the day. Cal, yeah. it was like six hours later. We were like, get a load of this. <laughs> like looking at like Walter Johnson's numbers from the 1911 world series. Well, we, you know, while we were drafting made up players in Madden, but, you know, it would be like, Walter Johnson, wait, wait, Ev, you're going to love this. <laughs> he throws a complete game in, you know, game two of the World Series. Right, nine like innings, innings. Right, like nine innings, 175 pitches. He comes back on two days rest in game three in relief. Then he <laughs> starts game four. <laughs> the next, like, just amazing stuff like that. So yeah. having that sort of appreciation of baseball history kind of was awesome because the stories were fantastic he had so many stories he just had so many great stories because and every one of them was good yeah and because he was a hall of fame player in his own right right he had a wonderful career in his own right and you know only played 10 years he had a bad back he was a navy pilot you know he was a veteran um uh, he dated starlets like he he had this he was like the joe dimaggio of pittsburgh he played for the Pirates all those years, and he was like, he he went out with, you know, he dated Elizabeth Taylor, I think, was, you know, the, the Elizabeth Taylor story, like he went on a date with Elizabeth Taylor or something. Look, we 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 know all of the history 
and it's still, I have to stop and think for a minute. Like, if somebody asked me on the spot, did Ralph Kine ever play for the Mets? I would have to stop because I just, I always just think of him as a Met. He was a pirate. He played 10 years with the Pirates and he played with the Cubs and he played with the Indians a little bit at the end of his career, but he never, it was 10 years before the Mets even existed. You know? Yeah. But I, I will catch myself. Did he play with the Mets? No, he didn't play with the Mets. That's right. But that's how ingrained in the Mets he is. Yep. And will, will always be. I, I was looking at these stories online and, and just running, you know, running back through some of them in the, in the great, uh, what was it? The, uh, Branch Rickey story. We lost 100 games with you. We can lose 100 games yeah. without you when he asked for a raise. And uh, the uh, the great, you know, <laughs> he uh, he dated Janet Lee. I think, was one of the, uh, one of the, the Hollywood starlets. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the classic, it's Father's Day today at Shea, so all you fathers out there, happy birthday, which is fantastic. All of, all of, all of Rick Aguilera's saves have come in relief appearances. <laughs> Ralph, uh, Tim MacArthur, we call Tim, him. Tim MacArthur, <laughs> Gary Cooper, Gary Cooper. Um, and and that doesn't. We did the last thing I want to touch on is um is Kiner's corner. Kiner's corner was a big deal, huge. You know, he had this show after Met games. Uh, called Kiner's Corner, and it was like a big deal. Like, I remember watching Kiner's Corner. The production value was unbelievably low. It was great. It was like this little... Po- it was, it was To me, it was like the father of the post-game show that you see now. Like, like the, uh, you know, the SNY, Mets post-game report, all this stuff. It was like a Merv Griffin, you know, <laughs> show after a ball game. But so it was so wonderfully low budget and be this like faux wood desk that he sat at. And you'd always, my favorite was the players would always come in. They were talking about this on, on the radio too. The players would always come in in their uniform. If it was a pitcher, he'd have his warm up, his warm up jacket on, but then they're smoking. They're just right. sitting at the table. They're just right. sitting at the table having a cigarette. Smoking. It was really designed to be like a, to me, it felt like a, like a Tonight Show, like a Jack Parr show after a ball game with, with a professional athlete who is unprepared to be doing that. <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, Ronnie Darling had the, uh, Ronnie, because we're friends, um, Ronnie. had the, uh, hey, come on, we're all friends tonight, Cal. All of us in the Met community. Um, no, but Darling uh, had a great quote about uh, Kiner's Corner and how uh, I saw it on Twitter today. And he said, everybody wanted to be on. He said, Richard Sherman today would have wanted to be on Kiner's Corner. Yeah. Like, that's how big a deal it was. That's the respect he had. Yep. Don Sutton lost 13 games in a row without winning a ball game. Right. <laughs> I mean, these are... And Bob Euchre in Major League... As Harry Doyle has all these, you know, Bob Bob Euchre steals two movies, essentially. But these are things that there's a reason that they're hilarious because broadcasters, especially baseball ones, especially ex players, say them all the time. Right. And they and you just don't care. Like they're just so good. 
and they're from a they're not from a place of like ignorance or anything like that. No, no, they're no, just, no. They're no. just these innocent ways of saying things. And as you said before, it's a lot of airtime to kill. How much? A lot. Right. 160 games. Daryl Strawberry Str- has been voted to the Hall of Fame five years in a row. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Great. <laughs> but, but every time... And you would hear them... I'm reading them now. I don't remember this off the top of my head. But you'd yeah. hear them, you would hear them at the time... And you'd laugh. You'd have to stop and be like, "What did, what did he just, did he just say that? I don't think that's what he meant." Right. And you, and it's funny. Right. Exactly. It, and, and he just and goes on broadcasting dis- his game. Distinct difference between those and Harry Carey's. There always was. I got to listen to Harry Carey a lot too, or see games with Harry Carey a lot too. When I went to Dayton, uh, University of Dayton in '92, we had WGN. Mm-hmm. Which I'd never had before. So for four years, I could pop on a Cubs game, and I got a lot of Harry Carey. Granted, it was end of you know ninety two to ninety six Harry Carey, where he's sort of a bit of a caricature of himself. But the the ones that Harry Carey said were like, or you know Harry Carey's goofy stuff was like, you you would never have Will Ferrell do a character based on Ralph Kiner, right. You know, you you knew Harry Carey was half in the bag by the fifth inning. I mean, Harry Carey would say things like, bottom of the fifth for the Cubs, bottom of the fifth for me. Right. You know, where's my Jack Daniels? Like, you you knew he was, you know, he was <laughs> drinking during the game, and he was like, what are the guys? I mean, back in the day. He yep. Kind of, they just came out of his mouth. Oh, yeah, and... and- there were a lot of times where there would be announcers that would make mistakes or they would screw something up and it would infuriate me. Like, no, that's wrong. What do you, why do you say that? Like, Still does. But, oh, even more so now. But, you know, he, he kind of had, he was kind of grandfathered into that. Like, it's okay. I know what he means. I give him a pass. And he would right. say them. I, I mean, he would at least one or two a game. Right. Now, when it happens, I, like... I get so angry when a broadcaster says something and makes a mistake and doesn't correct himself. Right. That just dr- Howie Rose will always go back and correct himself. Yep. He does. Most, but most announcers, they just, they just push right through it as if you didn't hear it. I'm reading through some of these. It's, I mean, so good. Somebody wrote, my favorite Ralph Kiner moment came in the late 1970s or early 80s when between innings he was hawking a cookbook put together by the Met Wives. His co-announcer said, Ralph, I heard you submitted a recipe, to which he replied, yeah, scotch and soda. <laughs> uh, I mean, it just, it really wonderful stuff. He, he, he will definitely be missed. And I hope the Mets, and I'm sure they will, uh, you know, wear a patch or something. You know, I, like, I'm, I'm sure they, they will appropriately honor him. Yeah. Did you see somebody tweeted that and I don't know who it was, so I apologize if I don't, I don't remember the name, that they should rename the left field corner, Kiner's Corner. Yeah, why hasn't that happened? Right? Got the I Shea, mean... You have the Shea Bridge, you have the Bob Murphy broadcast booth, Yep. radio booth. Just name the left field corner, Kiner's Corner. Let's, why are we, how hard is this? Yeah. Come on, Mets, get it right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of 
empty real estate out in that left field corner. Yes. If you go on the concourse, yes, I know. you could very easily stick a little something there for Ralph Kiner. Uh, and with that, let's move on to um, some other things. Let's move on. There's a ton I wanted to talk to you about tonight. Okay. Not the least of which is something you alluded to earlier about your audience with Mr. Alderson. Yes. Uh, as you mentioned, you went to a, uh, a, a season ticket holder event. That's which right. Is your third year running, going with your brother-in-law. Right. I am not the season ticket holder. You are. You are decidedly not. This is full season season ticket holders, right? This is not only full season ticket holders. These are full season season ticket holders that were early renewals. Wow. You, so you really have to be a special person. Like that was that was the perk. If you renew, it was like if you renew next season by November fifteenth, you get an invite to this event. All right. So you and I and your brother-in-law is just there. He's just locked in. Yeah, yeah he's not going anywhere. I'm, although for the first time, I'm starting to see cracks, even from him. Wow. Yeah. That's saying something. Mm-hmm. As he's been, he's been, he's been guzzling the Kool-Aid for a long time. He's been a season ticket holder since 2000. One full season season ticket holder. Full season season ticket holder since 2001. How many of those does he go to? I think maybe he goes to 20, 25 games a year. Of the, of the 81. Of the 81, yeah. Sells the rest? He tries to. <laughs> An attempt is made? He tries to. Yeah. I think... I think the doorman uh, in his building is, yes, goes to a lot of Met games. Goes to a lot of Met games, but uh, yeah, and he's he's 2001, and he's he's like, I would say he's in the top 15 percent in terms of seniority as far as season ticket holders. That's bad. Yeah, he's he has rocketed up that list. That's not great. Well, like uh, well, he would he would be a heat seeker. <laughs> On that list. He's rising up the charts? Yeah. This was an interesting night for you to go to this because you and I, just you and I, uh, have been, uh, there's been a little friction in the old Cal and Sam Pete show. Speaking of cracks in the veneer. Not this show, this, the real life show. That's correct. Right? Right. Not, not the two hours that we do each Thursday. No. The reality show that is our friendship. <laughs> Where uh, we've been going back and forth. Hal and Sam Pete revealed. Revealed. Behind the music. When Behind the Music returns. 24-7. We, uh, anything else? Um, that's it. Real world, Cal and Sam Pete. <laughs> now we're good. <laughs> Nailed it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go we, on. We've been get, now we've been going back and forth about this Mets offseason and how... Uh, you're 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 more fed up than usual. It's been very specific in the sense that you feel that there's an opportunity here for them to sign uh, Stephen Drew, sign maybe a Nelson Cruz or a Bronson Arroyo, make two moves that are there for the picking. There's an opportunity there for them to get the fan base back, and you pretty much I think feel it doesn't matter. What they have to do to make that happen? Like, if you have to give Stephen Drew three years, give him three years. Like, enough with this. Yes. 
I would do I I would that would be one of those moves where I would hold my nose because I know it's the wrong thing, but it's almost the necessary thing. Well, what did so? And I've been just a little more of the camp of. I don't know what you expected them to do this offseason. It wasn't a rich free agency period, I think. And I also, as we learned from the refinance last week, um, where they were limited in their, uh, the Wilpons were limited in their ability to raise the payroll. What? What do you mean? You guys said, yeah, but you guys said the whole time that it didn't have anything to do with the Mets. Will not affect the baseball operation. Well, apparently, the bank had other ideas because one of the uh, contingencies of the $250 million loan that they kicked McCann down the street on this week was that they couldn't raise payroll. So anyway, uh, there it is, the Wilpon song. This is, this is the Wilpon song. I love that voting. Yeah. Fergie. Is are you sure that's Fergie? Uh, yeah, this is the Black Eyed Peas. All right then. So you're very confident that it's Fergie. Uh yeah, I have two daughters that dance. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. You've seen that. You've seen that dance too in many. I'm pretty familiar with that tune. <laughs> I want. I just want to go back and set up because. You got to paint the whole picture here because you say uh, you 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 say do whatever doesn't matter just do whatever. I didn't. I don't think that's what I said. <laughs> I, I I think I heard you say that. I said I'll when, it, when it came to those. You might have to listen to the show now. When it came to those. <laughs> when it came to those particular players and or signings, you feel like what do what they need to do to get it done. Let me, okay, here's the reason why I feel that way right now on February 6th. And I think I've talked about this on the show before. But I'm going to talk about it again. God bless you. Thank I'm going to talk about it again because it, it sets the stage for, for why I feel the way I feel right now. When Sandy Alderson got hired in 2011, he came in, he had a plan. Sandy Alderson, Paul D. Podesta, J.P. Ricciardi, all of them, they had a plan, right? So the plan was... They were going to get out from under the bad contracts of the previous regime. Sure. They were going to create payroll flexibility. They were going to build up the farm system. Sure. And we were going to suffer through some lean years. But be patient because we've got a plan. And I was patient in 2011. Yes. Patient in 2012. Very. Patient in 2013. Extremely so. Because the light at the end of the tunnel, and I said this almost one year ago to the day. Why are you the Reverend Jesse Jackson now? All of a sudden, I picked up a pencil, Janelle. And, and, you, and you're using a pencil prop. Listen to me. Almost a year ago. Sure thing, Carrot Top. We had this conversation about the Met fans were patient, patient, patient with Sandy Alderson, and all of a sudden, last year. In the winter of 2012 into 2013, they lost their mind and were criticizing him left and right. This is a year ago. Criticizing him left and right. You got to do this. You got to do that. You're horrible. You're a horrible general manager. We need somebody else. They, they killed him. And I couldn't understand. We talked to Rich Catino about this too. I couldn't understand at the time why 
people were turning on Sandy Alderson after putting the time in to be patient with him. Okay? Cue, cue, cue the foreshadowing right here. <laughs> and now? <laughs> Couldn't understand it. It's like, we're on the cusp of now. This is going to be the offseason where they're going to rebuild the team. They've talked about it. They've got the plan. Here we go. Just give them one more year. I was a huge proponent of that. Couldn't understand why people had given up on him. So now we get to the off season of 2013, where we are just coming out of with spring training starting next week. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Nice. I'm ready to sit down. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Go, wait. <laughs> Do that again. Nice. Imagine a he's, large... He's rubbing his hands together. I, I, want, I want you to imagine a large man sitting down. <laughs> okay. Do I need yeah. to close my eyes or... I, I'm going to paint this picture so vividly you don't have to. Okay. A large man in a big flannel shirt. Almost like a lumberjack. <laughs> Richard Kind. Sitting down to a table with a huge stake in front of him. Right? And he's got a fork in one hand and a knife in the other. And he sits down and he just eyes that stake and he goes, here we go. All right. I'm going to dig in. Right? You got that picture? Yes. You see it? Okay. That's how, that was me. That was Cal, your buddy Cal, in October. That was me with the flannel shirt yep. and the steak. And what happened, because I had, been, I had been waiting three years for that time, three years for that steak, Oh, it was aged beautifully. Marbled. I couldn't wait. Just flame, flame kissed. It smelled so good. I can smell it. And then it was as if a dog jumped up onto the table and stole that steak right out of my plate. The Bumpuses. The Bumpuses. The Bumpuses dogs. My, my whole... I'm, I'm being silly here, but my whole point... You are a silly head. I'm, I know. But my whole, my whole point is I was looking forward to this offseason. I think, and to be fair, I think they were looking forward to this offseason, and they had a plan, and this is, what, this is what they intended to do. My problem is that I think they were almost a little too forthcoming about what they wanted to do in the offseason of 2013 because they kind of set expectations for me, for me, I'm not saying for everybody, mm-hmm. they said, my expectations were set to a certain level. And now, on February 6th, I don't feel that they have met those expectations. So, I feel, I feel dissatisfied with what they've done to this point. Which is, why, which is why, in a really long roundabout way, which is why I think they need to do whatever they need to do to sign Stephen Drew and maybe even one other player. Going into this, this is all true. Going into um, the, so going into this thing tonight with Sandy Alderson and Deep Podesta and uh, Ricciardi and uh, the, the Ivy League, the brain trust over there, the the smarter than thou uh, front office for the Mets. Um, well, let me let me let me let me debrief you. Go ahead. Were your expectations? met in terms of their being forthcoming about how the off season has gone. 
I didn't I didn't really have any expectations as to what they like I didn't go into it tonight saying, Well, they better tell me this and they better tell me that. I didn't really have those expectations. All right. So were they forthcoming about how do you think they were honest and forthcoming about how this off season has gone? Yes, I think they were. Um, I was a little disappointed that they all appeared to be in agreement that they were happy with the way the off season has gone. Well, what are they going to say to the season ticket holders who have spent thousands and thousands of dollars? Like, oh boy, we effed it up. Well, how do you feel about the Chris Young signing? You know what? Scratching my head. I don't know. Ask Sandy. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not surprised they were in lockstep with thinking that they're doing a heck of a job. Yeah, no, of course. I was. I'm not surprised. I was a little disappointed. Okay, like, give me. I, like I, you know what I would. What I wanted to hear was that we still have some time and we're still working on some things. Oh, so they said finished product. They didn't. They didn't say finished product. No, I'm, I'm asking you, were they, were, did they sound like they were going to make another move, or did they sound like they were content with what they had going to camp next week? It sounds like, it sounds like they're still working on a couple of things. <laughs> macrame? But, or, yeah. With the ball club. With the macrame with the ball club. Right. They're doing a needlepoint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're working play. on a couple of things. Deep Podesta has a movie he's working on. Doing a puzzle, yeah, a little jigsaw puzzle. Give I think me, there were, Give me your three big takeaways. Three big takeaways. Okay, the first takeaway was from regarding from, from this. Not yes, I. In oh, life. not in, in life. Yeah, <laughs> not not in life. We can do those later. Lemon juice is not as sour as you would expect. <laughs> That's one thing. When Ready? drinking it straight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did not know that. I I don't know if that's true. The first one was about Stephen Drew. Because he was very pointedly was asked about Stephen Drew, one of the one of the season ticket holders. I I don't like calling them fans. I, I I feel like they should be referred to as season ticket holders. Right. There's a difference. There is a there's kind of a difference. There what's, is. What's funny about tonight, though, as opposed to in years past, is now I like I said I went as a guest of my brother-in-law, the season ticket holder. <laughs> like my father, the hero. <laughs> my brother-in-law, the, the season, season ticket holder, comma. Right. So I went as a guest. My father, the hero. That was me. I was the guest. But many of the questions coming from the audience were from the guests, not right. not the season ticket holder. Not the guy putting four or five thousand dollars down on tickets. It was the guest that was brought along for the free hamburgers and hot dogs. They were the ones asking the tough questions. But you know that was the prompt, right? Like, you know a lot of those season ticket holders took that guy or girl because they would ask the question that the season ticket holder won't ask. Maybe. So, like, listen, come with me to this thing tonight and ask this question. This is what I want to ask, but I'm, I, I'm not going to do it because I'm a season ticket holder. I may see these people around the office. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll be in, in the Diamond Club. In, <laughs> Diamond Club. Because it's I, 1988. I'd like to think that maybe that was how they got it. Like, you want to come? Yeah, you can come, but you got to ask. This but you got to. But you got to ask Sandy Allison this question. I just need you to do me a favor. Right. You can come, but you got to be the jerk. But it was funny how it was coming from the guests, and and Sandy Alderson even made a crack about that. 
like one of the questions I forget what it was, but it was it was a pretty pointed question about payroll, and his his first response was, "Wait a minute, we're taking questions from guests this year." <laughs> he says, "Do I?" So then, does that mean I have to answer it? Right. Good. So he's well. very he's very funny. Hysterical. He really knows his audience. He really knows how to break up a room. Really good. So, All right, so first, Stephen Drew. First, the first takeaway. Somebody asked about Stephen Drew. They said, if it will, and I think the question was, why won't you just give him three years? Wow, that is pointed. Yeah, it's like if that if that's what will get it done, why won't you just give him three years? And, and was it was it prefaced with, what's your problem? I want all these questions to be asked by like a hostile Vinnie Barbarino. Like, just, hey, what's your problem? If he wants three years, won't you give it to him? Oh my God. Next question over here. I don't understand. I swear you're going to die. Here's my question Why are you acting like a jerk? Sign some plans. Like Sandy Austin is like just scratching his head, like what? Why is this guy talking like this? What, what is happening here? I don't, I don't understand. Why is everybody asking me a question? Somebody from Mr. Carter's class. I don't, I don't get it. Mr. Mr. Carter's class. Mr. Carter's class. Mr. Gary Cooper's class. Uh, so Mr. Carter's class. Is that better? So Mr. Carter. Mr. Carter. Yes, Sandy. I got a question over here. Well, that's the reason, right? They all think he's Sandy from Greece. So, so they all, they all, when they address Sandy Alderson, they all do it as if they're, yo, I got a question over here. I swear you're going to die. It's like, it's like, I wonder why you have so much confidence in Ike Davis. Why do you like, like love Lucas Duda? Over here, Sandy. Oh, Sandy. Like uh, next question, is this about Rizzo? Next next question. Why is the collar on your leather jacket sticking straight up? <laughs> oh, Sandy, why can't we sign another player? As he takes out a comb and brushes his hair. <laughs> Over here. Hold on a minute. <laughs> he breaks out into a song. Anybody got a light? Well, oh, well, oh, well, up. All right. Just, is, why is there a musical breaking out? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Stephen Drew. So he answered the question. Why he, he says it's it's much more complicated, and and you had the you had a good line when we were texting before. You like it when he puts amateur GMs in their place. I do. And he does. I, I'm down on Sandy, but he does do a really good job of that. I, kind of I I do because because a lot of times they need to be. They, you know, he needs to remind people sometimes that, uh, look, buddy, if it was easy, everybody be doing it. Yeah, take it easy. Just calm down. I also had this, as you were telling me this, as we were texting back and forth about this, one of the things that always sticks out to me about Sandy or I have in the back of my head about Sandy Alderson during these interactions is that he is an ex-Marine and that, like, I just have him as Jessup a lot, too, like when... (laughs) Somebody is like being caffy like and questioning him like, and somebody who's out of their league, right? Like Caffy is when he's first questioning Jessup, you know, and, and Caffy reaches for the water and Tom Cruise's hand is shaking. 
Uh-huh. And I just see Alderson like, what do you want to talk about now? My favorite color? You know, like w- with the questions, like, <laughs> I'll give you the answer. The answer is I don't have the faintest clue, you know, just answering them in a real like Jessup sort of way. Well, here's, here's a good example. One, one person said, have you, have you thought about bringing John Buck to come back as a backup catcher? He'd be really good influence on Travis Darno, and he can help develop him. And you know, where, where do you stand on that? Where do you stand on bringing John Buck back? And Sandy was like, "Well, John Buck signed with Seattle, so son." So we laughing, right? And then later on, I told you all this, but later yeah. on, he uh, somebody else says, uh, "How about signing a guy like Fernando Rodney? He'd be great for the bullpen." What do you What do you think about that? And again, straight face. Well, Fernando Rodney just signed with Seattle today, so he'll be pitching to John Buck. <laughs> it was just, it was just it's, so it's, funny. it's straight Jessup. Yeah, it was great. Son, are these the questions I've really been called here to answer? <laughs> Fernando Rodney and John Buck. <laughs> All right, so Stephen Drew, he said it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. It's okay, not. Are, are they in a relationship? Or yeah, it's, it's you know. Not you, it's me. One of those things. Thomas Vanek? Yeah. <laughs> Thomas Vanek and Stephen Drew right. are dating. Are dating. No, but but he said it's complicated, and they haven't even gotten to the point of discussing years. That was the takeaway that I got from that. Interesting. We haven't even gotten to the point of, of discussing years. He said payroll payroll has not come into the conversation yet, meaning it wasn't. So, it's not like... We need to we need to give him thirty million dollars, and I have to clear that with the will ponds. That like that hasn't even they haven't even gotten to that point yet. Also interesting. So I thought that was interesting. That was the first thing. The second takeaway I had was they sent a lot of their players to the University of Michigan this winter <laughs> to get bachelors and <laughs> right to work on doctorates, <laughs> TV VCR repair. <laughs> Refrigeration and <laughs> and air conditioning. <laughs> he wants he wants Ruben Tejada and Lucas Duda to have some usable skills for when they're for when right. or at least within the organization. Like if the lights go out, <laughs> send them, they send them to the Debray Institute. <laughs> they don't have a baseball team that university, <laughs> so you're not going there to play ball. And I got a toolbox when I started. <laughs> Lucas, Lucas Duda can now fix a dishwasher. But he can't... Uh, he still can't hit left-handed pitching. Right, he still can't hit left-handed pitching. But I, uh, the, the whole concept behind sending these players to this, this clinic, or whatever it was that they had, this training at the University of Michigan, and the way Deep Desta explained it, Paul Deep Desta, he said, you know... When you have a guy, a lot of the Latin players are used to playing year-round. Just the, that's their culture. The season ends, and then they play in a winter league. Yeah, they play and then the winter, winter ball, right. And sure. then the winter ball ends, and they come right to spring training. And they play year-round. And just because you do something, and it, it was kind of a veiled shot, just because you do something over and over again doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get better at it. It was good the way he said it. He's much more subtle than Sandy Alderson. Yes. You know, he's, 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 he's wry and he's funny, but he's not snarky. Or an ex-Marine. 
or an ex-marine. <laughs> so, but I, but I just I like the concept behind it. It 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 sounded somewhat progressive or somewhat out of the box. That instead of sending Ruben Tejada to Venezuela to play baseball for the next three months, which he's been horrible at for the last six, <laughs> take a break from from the baseball. How about you stop sucking for like two months? You know, and maybe you go work on your flexibility and yeah. do that. Or well, lift I, or lift a weight or two. Something. So I thought that that was, that was interesting. So that was, that, that is, was, that's that was extremely interesting. Another takeaway. Another, and then the last takeaway is somebody asked Paul D. Podesta to explain Moneyball, which I thought was funny. Wait, you're serious? No, not no. I'm sorry. They asked Sandy Alderson to explain Moneyball, and Sandy said, "Well, I'm going to have Paul explain it to you since he was in Moneyball." Right. <laughs> which was funny, and he didn't really. He kind of got into a really long-winded explanation of the type of players that they're looking for and their approach to the game. Um, and then Sandy kind of came back in. He says. Well, I'll give you like the 10-word explanation. High on base, ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark, pitchers that don't walk anybody, and pitchers that don't give up home runs. He says, that's it. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. That's what we're looking for. Wow. So, and then Deep Podesta tacked on to that where one a competitive advantage that they try to build is ta- getting guys who can do – the difficult things in your ballpark. So in other words, it's hard to hit home runs at City Field. They're looking for guys that can hit home runs at City Field because then that will give them an advantage over their opponents who might struggle at that. And they ran into a lot of problems over the last couple of years playing teams with guys that could hit home runs. <laughs> yeah, it's lots of them. Yeah. So that's, so that's why they brought in guys like Curtis Granderson and, and Chris Young. And, you know, they have power. They strike out a million times, but they also have power. Right. So just those were the, those were the takeaways that that's, I took from that. I'll tell you what, that's extremely interesting. And you know what? I made fun of that question initially, but that's a good question. What, the money ball question? Yeah. Well, it, you would have made fun of it if you saw the guy that asked it to. Absolutely. No doubt. <laughs> tell me, what's money ball? Right. See, he's asking the question as a, you know, being a sort of jerk. Like, what's what's your money ball? Oh, Sandy. What's money ball over like, here? Like, so weird. Hey, tell me, tell us all about this money ball. And then he elbows his, the guy next to him and laughs. Right, like, right. Hey, watch, exactly. Watch this. <laughs> Market inefficiencies. Payroll flexibility. Whatever. So you said you have, uh, we can wrap up this Mets convo <laughs> with, uh, you said you have breaking news. You're going to break some news. Yeah, it was broken already. I, I knew it would have been. Um, ironically, broken by Mets blog from somebody who was at the season ticket holder event. Right. Did you see it? No. Okay. Um, they were talking about Fernando Rodney. He made his crack about him signing with Seattle. And then he followed that up with, we're sending people to watch Joel Hanrahan tomorrow at a private workout. That's the, uh, that's the big news there. That's the big news. That, that's what they were going to do. That's it, huh? I told you it wasn't earth-shattering. 
But I, but I felt like it was a nugget that I ha- that I learned that nobody else knew. It was until until Metzblog gets a hold of it because they have people everywhere. At that's Metzblog. all right. But I, oh. but I, but I think that that's noteworthy because they're looking to improve the bullpen. That and would Hanrahan be a good, has had some time. success, right? So and and we can quote Slapshot all the time. Hanrahan. That would just for that reason, absolutely worth it. Totally know, that's worth why. That's why we wanted um, what's his name Einhorn to buy the Mets, right? <laughs> because so we could say Finkel is Einhorn. Very disappointed in that. Einhorn is Finkel. So anyway, so that so that's that's the Mets for me. And next week I'm gonna I'm gonna put the heat on you. I'm gonna put the spotlight on you. All right, easy, Glenn Fry. No, you're gonna. <laughs> Glenn Fry. I'm sorry. I thought you meant Glenn Beck. That's why I laughed. But Glenn Fry from the Eagles. Sure. The heat is on. Next week. The heat is on me. Is a teaser. It's on the street. Next week, you're going to have to... You will be called to the carpet, feelings on the Mets. Very next well, then. Week, next week, we will be literally on the eve of spring training. So, I'm going to get a state of your Met fan situation next week. All right. So I, I, I accept. You got a week to think about it. It will be all I think about. Your feet will be held to the fire. I feel the heat. Make the no heat, mistake. The heat between. I'm sorry. I was going to quote Prince there. Can we um? Can we talk about the Super Bowl really quick? <laughs> yeah. Remember that? I mean, I know it was like a week ago, but um. It wasn't even. It was only five right, days ago. Right. It was five days ago. Surprise! Right. I was not disappointed. I enjoyed well, it thoroughly. Yeah, I was just, I, I, you know, I was surprised for sure. First, I felt shocked. <laughs> then I felt surprised. Then I was like, meh. <laughs> I um, I I think I revealed this to you at some point. You and the boys in the chat room that it had escaped me how much I dislike the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning. That fact had sort of I, – I just – I buried it maybe – I don't know. But 98 uh, with the Jets comes comes back on me. Mm-hmm. I've always sort of hated Denver. Um, and then I don't care for Peyton Manning at all uh, because he's beaten the Jets too many times. And I just I, – he's the Manning family and I, I just I, – I, I no, no thanks. So I was actually kind of enjoying the thorough beatdown that they were taking um, in that game. I don't know. It was a very enjoyable game for me. Well, that's good. I was I was my the, the main feeling I had was one of annoyance, angry, because I didn't care that much to be angry, but I was annoyed. Like these these guys couldn't even bother to show up for the Super Bowl. Like, the effort that Denver put in. Right. It was like, really? I, this is the Super Bowl, and you lost two games all year, and this is this is what you throw out there? I have seen and heard some interesting takes on the game. One of the ones that I sort of love, though, was we talked last week uh, in our little lead-up to the thing, um, and we didn't break down a lot of X's and O's and all that stuff. There are people far more qualified than we are to do that. But we talked about game planning. And 
one of the things that you and I sort of couldn't figure out was why is there not a bigger emphasis on the game planning that goes into that game? And we were both like, what? No, we were both, seriously, we were both sort of scratching our heads. Like, the only time you hear about game planning in the two weeks that you have um, uh, for game planning and stuff is when Bill Belichick's in the Super Bowl. That's the only time it's apparently a factor. And to hear the MVP of the game, uh, uh, what's his name, Mike Smith? Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith, thank you. Um, say that the game planning was the key to their victory. <laughs> Having two weeks to watch the film, they knew what the route combinations were, they knew what their tendencies were on down and distance, and by the half, because of their game planning, they knew exactly what they were going to audible to. It was sort of like a, oh, it was sort of a nice thing to hear because it was a huge factor in their winning that game. And, and I think right. it, it was an angle that wasn't talked about enough. They had two weeks to see everything that Denver does. And Denver could not throw a thing at them that they hadn't seen. No. And no, I, 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 I think, I'm sorry, and I think Denver game planned poorly. For Seattle's defense. Clearly. Yeah. Cal, there were plays there where they weren't rushing. They played very little uh, uh, of their cover three. Right. They didn't play a lot of that cover three. They played a lot of, you know, cover one. They played a lot of, you know, cover one robber or whatever. They changed up their defense, and Denver was, vast, you know, completely unprepared for it. And I, th- I, it felt like to me like Denver and Peyton Manning, and he should take a hit for this because he is essentially the offensive coordinator of the team, went out there and were like, yeah, we're going to do what we do. Stop us. I mean, I know that's an obviously overly simplistic view of their game plan, right. but they didn't seem to be doing anything special. They really well, didn't. Well, and, and the other thing that I heard was during the week they were practicing, and – John Fox had them turn the music down in the stadium where right. they were practicing. Right. Right. And it and it sure seemed from from the opening snap that they were having a problem with the sound in the building. Yeah. They couldn't hear each other, and it just it threw them off their game. And when you're as John Fox, he should see how successful Seattle has been in there. Now you wouldn't expect the Meadowlands to be that loud. Right, yeah, no. like, like Seattle. No, but there were a lot of Seattle fans there, Cal. There were, but but I mean, you you almost have to take. Why was Seattle like? All right, I've got two weeks to game plan for for the Seahawks. Why were they so successful this year? Right. And break and break down why they were so successful. And one of the things invariably is going to be the way that they respond in a loud environment. Yep. So that's that's got to be on your to do list when you're game planning. Yep. You know, let try. Sim- simulate a situation where it gets it doesn't have to be the whole game. It could be just like a key point in a game where it does get loud, and you're not going to be able to hear each other. Figure out what you're going to do in that situation. Pretty dopey to make the supposition that Seattle fans wouldn't travel. If if that's the supposition that he made, then seems it's like extremely it. Extremely dopey. I mean, he turned down. <laughs> Those two words don't sound right together, and yet I love it. Extremely, extremely dopey. dopey. Um. 
if that's the that sounds like that's the assumption he made if he turned down the crowd noise and said, "Oh, well there's never usually crowd noise." And I heard that said like in three places. I heard Francesca say it. Yeah. When that was reported, Francesca said, you know, oh, well, that's because there's never, you know, it's, a, it's a 70% of the people there don't care. Don't have a rooting interest or whatever. Well, not in this one. Because no. that, fir- that first snap that went over his head, it was loud. I mean, it was, it was really loud. Oh, yeah. And, and you saw it threw them off their game right from that moment. Oh, that's that's... One of those moments in it when you're watching a game where you're just like, oh, this is, wow. You just, if you've watched enough football for long enough and you see a play like that happen on, like, the first snap. Like, if I was a Broncos fan, I would have been like, oh, God. Although, although. I would, know, have then... wa- I would have walked out of the living room. That's the end of the game. That's it. It's just not going to happen today. But Denver's defense did okay the next two drives. They held them to field goals. They kept them in the game. Yeah. But the offense was doing nothing. They right. had no that's, shot. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, when that happens on the first snap in what's supposed to be a neutral site. Right. You've watched games for long enough, Cal. Certain things happen in a game, and you're just like, there's no chance we're winning this game. You're right. There's no chance. You're more in tune to it when it's your team. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you of know? course. But you're right in this situation. Yeah, I kept I kept waiting for the Broncos to make a run. I really did. I, even after the half, I thought yep. it's only it's only what was it, twenty two nothing at the 22 half. Twenty two nothing at the half, and they had been dominated. And you're like, all right, they, there's nothing that says they can't put up three touchdowns in the third quarter, right? And be right back in the game. And they just got their ass kicked. I mean, just <laughs> continually. They, they just did. get. They just get. Now, uh, to put a jet spin on it. I know last week I had said I almost I, – I picked Denver – or uh, Seattle. But I had said I almost hope they don't win because it will make Rex Ryan stay in the Stone Age of football. Well, guess what? Maybe he should. Exactly. Now, now, now it's on trend. Seems to work. Yeah. You've got to have the talent. You've got to have the personnel. Cal, is the NFL a copycat league? Yes. I haven't heard that anywhere. Oh, wait. No, that's not right. I've heard that everywhere. It is. It's a copycat league, Cal. Would you, would you call the NFL a copycat league or a copycat league? It's tough to say. I think, I think when you see what goes on in the NFL about when something works the right way, you tend to see a lot of other teams try to do the same thing, almost as if they're copycatting it. Right, right. So I don't, I don't know if that makes it a copycat league. This is... <laughs> Gosh, that's, I mean, talk about overused, oh. you know, cliches or whatever in, in, spo- in sports. Yeah, hang on to, hang on to oh, one thing. Oh, man. You know. Just everybody loves that one. It's a copycat league. It's a copycat league. So everybody's going to try to have a ridiculously dominant defense and draft a quarterback in the third round and I just, just stop. How about the, how about the, the, the best team won the game on Sunday? The only one here? Hello? What happened? What happened was, PJ, the internet crashed. Skype crashed. Blog Talk Radio crashed. So we're going to end episode 163 right there and call it part one, and then we'll do a part two, which has some more great stuff. We talked more about the Super Bowl. We talked to Elwood, who, of course, brought up Andrew Luck. 
ending his three-episode arc. And then we talked a lot about Philip Seymour Hoffman, some remembrances there. And uh, so it was really good. So check out part two as a separate podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. Okay, RTU number 163, part one, over.